Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Back in the day, by back in the day, I mean, you know, like March 10th, you know, when life is totally different. Back in the day, we interacted with our athletes by watching them play games on TV. Uh, as a media member, going and, you know, interviewing them at shoot-arounds or after games or whatever, and uh, watch them do their stuff. Now we interact with them. What did Joe Ingalls say on social media today? Joe, another earthquake, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark. If you weren't with us, had a, uh, had a three, what is it, three oh three one whatever it was, aftershock, one of like 300 or whatever it is aftershock since the uh, 5.7 earthquake last week. And it came while we were on the air live. And interviewing Steve Cleveland, and I got to tell you, sitting on the fifth floor, I definitely, definitely felt it. If you are, uh, Yach even now is looking at me. He tries to maintain his calm. But Yach, Yach, was that your first one? That was your first one, right? That 5.7 one? No, I've been through a couple other ones in Taiwan, but the first one on U.S. soil. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So 5.7 on the fifth floor of the arena, though. Thumbs up if that's a wild ride. So, uh, Joe feeling that, as many of you did, many of you uh, tweeted at us in real time as that was happening. Uh, The other thing that uh, I saw out there on on Twitter, I heard from Derek Favors on Twitter. Um, A jazz fan tweeting at him. Uh, Derek says he's doing good, spending time with the fam, while also finding a new hobby to enjoy. Anyone coming up with new hobbies? Anybody going Bob Ross here, taking out the watercolors? I wasn't a big Bob Ross guy. I mean, I was aware of him at the time. It was hard not to be. And I guess there's still a whole generation of people finding him with the perm. And the, you just take a little touch of the green here. and As a brush goes across the canvas. Goes to show you people will watch anything. Have an pretty idea. Pretty trees, pretty trees. Have an idea. Stick to it. Stay in your lane. And it'll pay off. Bob with the palette tipped at that jaunty angle. Yeah, you just never know. All right, coming up, we're going to talk uh, a little college football and a little basketball as well. See, Yogi Roth, he found his lane. He stays in it. He talks Pac-12 football. Uh, Yogi Roth is coming up. But first, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. A couple things to run by him. Coaching carousel. Well, it's been a lot slower this year. I, I personally think it has to run that theory by him. I just think that the obscene buyouts to get rid of coaches – that just looks terrible. Man, spend that money helping support small businesses and keep people employed. Uh, donate it to a food bank. Donate it to a hospital or a clinic that's testing people or caring for people. I mean, there's lots of good ways to use it right now. Eh, spending 10, 10 or $15 million or whatever to buy out a coach, that, that doesn't seem like a good idea. Now, the football thing already happened, but for the basketball coaching carousel, it should be heating up right now. I don't think it's going to. We'll talk with uh, Steve about that and also about the Aggies and the Cougars and the Sweet 16. That's next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. 
From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's time to welcome in our basketball insider. Steve, how are you? I'm doing good. The question of the morning. Well, we have many questions. But let's start off with the uh, the question that uh, PK and I have been debating here. This is the time where, uh, you know, the body clock says we should be down to the Sweet 16. And the question is, would BYU or Utah State have been in? And I'm of the opinion that there are probably 40 maybe even 45 teams that can ask themselves that because this looked like it was going to be a wide-open tournament. There have been a lot of tournaments lately where the NCAA selection committee has really nailed it. And, like, you you look at the seeding and 12, 13, 14 teams are doing what they're supposed to do at the top of the brackets. But this year seemed wide open. The the two and three seeds seemed vulnerable, even the one seeds. We see now the number one ranking's been passed around. How wide open do you think the first week of that tournament was going to be for the Aggies and the Cougars? Well, I think the anticipation for all of us was that we couldn't wait for it to start because there were so many unknowns. And it seemed like there were mid-major programs that uh, were seated quite low. I mean, we got it high. And so you knew that they were going to be in situations where they could be playing third and fourth place teams from uh, P5 program, you know, P5 leagues and stuff. And so I think we all kind of felt like the way Utah State and BYU and other teams were playing, that uh, there was going to be some great opportunities. And you know, and you and I, all of us have seen all the projections and and who was going to be where and how this thing can play out. Uh, and it 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 seemed very real, very plausible. Uh, and felt like this was probably going to be one of the most exciting NCAA tournaments that's been around in a long time, especially for the, kind of the underdog guy. We I mean, there's been upsets. Every, there's always upsets. But never was there a path that seemed so clear to, to getting to the second weekend. Steve, I want to ask you about these seniors getting another year back in basketball. I don't see where how it's practical because you have a number of guys, whether they be high school freshmen coming in, that were basing their decision on guys leaving. You have grad transfers. You have redshirt guys, maybe not grad transfers, but redshirt guys, junior college guys, who've made their decisions based on what they anticipated the roster being. What's your take as far as giving these seniors their eligibility back for winter sports? I've got no problem for spring sports because those things, they didn't really get an opportunity but most of the teams had an opportunity to compete a full season or close to a full season in winter sports so i'm not sure that really works uh i I don't i don't think it's going to work uh i mean hey if i'm a coach or player as a fan yeah i want that i mean everybody wants that but when you start thinking of a lot of adjustments are going to have to be made in terms of scholarships and commitments unless the nc2a is is going to make significant changes in terms of scholarships that can be offered you know for for large schools that have a lot of money it's not an issue but if all of a sudden you've signed and take a mid-major or even a, 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 a school that hasn't had a lot of success is trying to rebuilding and uh, they've got they've signed seven or eight people and all of a sudden you know they don't have the ability to do that they, that turnaround can't take place because they can't bring people in from out of town I mean it's fine if it's a walk on somebody that lose within near the community that they can drive. But a lot of the people that you're going to bring into your program, you're going to put on an airplane. 
and then they need that support. So I think logistically, it just doesn't seem plausible, to be honest with you, that you could keep the seniors. I mean, we all want to do that. And I think a, a lot, I mean, there's a lot of programs that don't want to bring their seniors back. <laughs> okay? I mean, they want a fresh start. They want to, you know, there were 50 or 60 or 70 really good teams that all have uh, compelling stories, but there's a lot of programs that want to move on. I want to get the new people in here and, uh, and, and get a fresh start. So I, I just, I just, I don't get it. I understand talking about it. It's fun to can imagine what they could do and where they could be. And when we're talking about two local teams that we're all very familiar with, uh, yeah, I, I get wanting that. I mean, if you ask me, Hey, would you like that? I'd say, absolutely. Do I think it's going to happen? No, I don't. And I was even a little bit surprised they brought the spring sports back, but it, uh, it takes a lot less money and time and things to, to run spring sports than it does to run football seasons and basketball seasons, and all the other things that go with that. You know, there was also talk about maybe expanding the rosters to make this happen and letting teams offer more scholarships. But I would think if you're in uh, fundraising, university athletics, with all the things that are going on financially with the economy, this would be a hard time to try and do that, try and raise more money so you can have more scholarships. That seems like a, another potential headache. Yeah, it, it, it is a potential headache. And I don't think economically any of us understand how important uh, you know, the NCAA tournament is to college basketball, to programs across the country not having that. Uh, and and I, and I just think that you you kind of you kind of brought closure. You, you, it's, closure's been brought. I know there are a lot of people out there still hoping and and that you know th- changes can be made and we can bring back this special team or someone's special team. But there's just as many people that could care less about it. In fact, there's more that could care less about doing it. Uh, who are you know? So it doesn't represent. You know, we're, we're talking maybe thirty or forty really good schools who feel like they have a great opportunity. And then there's another 300 that would just say, hey, uh, it's time to move on. Let's get going. Let's not take resources away from future teams, future programs, future schools. Uh, I, I think trying to get a consensus on that. I, I know what we read every day and see on social media and hear from a very small group of people. Uh, yeah, wouldn't we all love to have the NC? I mean, like like you, I mean, for me, the NBA, the NC2A tournament, uh, golf, all of those things are a void in my life, and I miss them dearly. And I want them to come back because I get such joy from watching those things. But uh, at, at the end of the day, we got to take care of bigger problems and bigger situations. And uh, but it is it does make for wonderful uh, narratives and conversations and the what ifs. And there are a lot of really positive what-ifs for BYU and Utah State who certainly had the ability to make make runs in the tournament. Yeah, what do you think as far as the players do in this time? Now that we don't have any games uh, for these guys, what would you advise the seniors who want to have a pro career uh, what can they be doing at this time so whenever we get back to that normal, hopefully sooner than later, obviously, that they can be prepared for it? Well, with all the criteria to you know being in groups and social distancing and so forth, there are, there are things that they can do. And, I mean, there's, there's nothing that's stopping them from finding a way to condition themselves. And, and you know, I, I don't know if schools are closed or not allow them into a, you know, 
into a locker room, into a, a workout room. But certainly there's, this is a time where you, every day you've got to be working on your body and getting shots up by yourself in the gym and doing those things. And those, those are going to require some uh, uh, permission to get in and use places because right now a lot of public places are called, closed. I mean, all the gyms and you're not going to use a public facility. So you're doing everything you can to keep yourself in the best condition you can be, eating properly, uh, staying social distancing, staying away from people and taking this time. I mean, we're all kind of doing that. I mean, all of a sudden I'm reading a lot more. Uh, you know, I'm having more conversations with my family on the phone and FaceTime. You know, the things that are probably are most important in my life, I'm, 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 reading good books, I'm doing things that are making me better that I oftentimes don't find near enough time to do when I'm busy watching TV and, or participating or when I was coaching. So there are, there are some good things there. Uh, it's incredible to me to walk around my neighborhood. I don't know how it is in your neighborhoods. And, uh, I mean, there are hundreds of families with dogs and cats and small children and bicycles walking around uh, and, and just kind of connecting with each other. And, and as you go by, saying hello and uh, chat maybe for a moment and keep walking. I mean, those are things that we don't take a lot of time to do unless it's a holiday or, uh, you know, it's, it's in between a game or a, a work assignment. So uh, there, there are, those are some good things. I think the country has come together, and I think, I think our leaders are coming together from the things I've read recently. I think, I mean, everybody's on board with this thing. But if I'm a college athlete and uh, trying to play professionally, I'm doing everything I can to take care of my body, my mind, my game, uh, watching film, uh, and so that I am prepared when that time and day, you, you know, you don't want to all of a sudden, eight weeks from now, they, you know, the NBA comes out and says, hey, we're, we're doing draft stuff, workouts, and you don't want to be the guy that goes, well, man, I should have done something during that time. Uh, man, you, you need to really, really be getting after it right now. What a great thing to do as well. It keeps your mind occupied, and you don't sit around depressed about the fact that you can't go to your favorite restaurant or go to a movie or you know, go to the beach or whatever it might be. You probably talk to friends in the coaching profession, and I wonder if you're hearing that there's going to be uh, less movement this year than in most years. It seems uh, like it would be a really bad PR move to fire a coach and pay them off, and so that that takes away opportunities for other people to leave a job and move to get a better job. So I wonder if it's going to be really status quo because it would just be a bad look to have big buyouts right now. I. I don't see. I agree with you. I just don't see that happening. I mean, it may be, and maybe there's some really uh, issues with a school or a coaching staff that has done really inappropriate things. You know, with the NC2A, uh, I think that would be probably the only reason someone might lose a job at this point in time. I think everybody's just going to take a deep breath and say, "Hey, let's just give this another year." I know the program's not trending where you want it. And we, we got some issues. We'll work through it. It just doesn't seem to be the most appropriate thing that needs to be happening right now. And once you get into, you know, and we're going to get into the summer on this, once you get into the summer, you know what you need to do is just take care of the people you have and, and the players, the coaches, the support staff, and everybody, and uh, do the best to have the best year you can coming, going forward. But it, it, would, it would just seem really inappropriate, unless there are infractions, 
and in a really inappropriate things happening that uh, that can't be the biggest thing on people's minds. Uh, you know, I, I think we take care of this and watch out and take care for others and have, have that kind of selfless mindset that uh, it, it would appear very selfish and, and narcissistic in my mind to see an AD president come out here and start firing people uh, and doing those kinds of things in the midst of a really, really difficult time in the world. So I, I completely agree. I don't think there's going to be much change. Hey, I'm just hoping and praying that uh, come next September and October that you're going to have football and you're going to have guys practicing for basketball. And I don't think anyone can clearly say, yeah, we'll be back. Everything will be fine. You know, and, and, and it, it may well. But uh, every I hear a different narrative every day. We've got a chance to watch a lot of TV and be on the computer and hear things. And it, 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 you look at the countries that have kind of got through this, the Asian, China, Japan, some of those countries who really got to it and had the ability to really quarantine people and get people off the streets. Uh, I, I, I'm just thinking about New York City, where you know there's 18, 20 million people living on top of each other. You, you can't even you go to the park and can't even go have social distancing because there might be 5 million people in the park. Uh, it's really difficult for those densely populated areas. And, and a lot of people still aren't doing a great job about doing the things they need to do. Um, and I know there's all these conspiracy theories. There's, oh, you know what? You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bite on that right now. I'm just going to do the things I've been asked to do. If you tell me six months from now, oh, you didn't need to do any of that. Okay, fine. That was an experience, but I don't want the alternative. You know, I want my grandkids to be around. I want my children. I want my wife. I want us all to be in good health. I want good friends. And uh, it, it's, that's, that's what I'm hopeful about, that it gets resolved. But uh, I know we all got to talk about something, and it's gotten really creative and <laughs> talk radio and, and television, and it, it, there's been some really filler, good filler things and interesting concepts. But I, I, don't, I don't think we're out of the woods yet out of this thing. I mean, it, there's no guarantee that anything's going to happen next fall unless things get taken care of right now. And I think that's why people that are complaining about not being able to go to the movies and or watch their sports and this and that, then you know what? If you're really serious about wanting that stuff back, then do the things you're supposed to do. Don't be out at night. Don't be in large groups. Don't continue to party. Now, you can't even get in California. You can't get into a restaurant. So I don't know how it is in Utah, but, uh, you know, there's pretty significant restrictions here. I wanted to know how you dealt with parents. I'm going to throw a situation at you. As the coaching staff wants a kid to redshirt, parents don't want the kid to redshirt, so they don't redshirt the kid, and the kid doesn't get a lot of playing time and then wants to transfer. How do you deal with that? Well, uh, usually what happens is that when that happens, it's because you haven't taken care of something before that happened. And I think what happens is that we want to let parents and, you know, you, you don't want to lose a player. And so you, you try to be as honest and positive as you can and look at, you know, the future. And here's the role that I think your son or daughter is going to have. This is the position we see them playing. Look where we are. If you, you know, you, you look at our roster, uh, he's playing. There's two seniors. There's three seniors in, in that position. 
they've proven themselves. You know, we see you fitting in here and doing this. And, and you go through that process typically. And you can usually uh, help parents to understand, okay, I, I get that, or, or a high school coach or AAU coach, somebody that's involved in their life, uh, and say, this is the reason we brought you here. We, you know, and we, those things should have been should have been dealt with and addressed when you're during the recruiting process. But what happens sometimes, we get so anxious about getting somebody on campus and getting them here and, and, and don't put the due diligence and the time in to look at your roster and look at long-term recruiting and, you know, depending on the school you're at and what the circumstances are. Just being, but being at BYU, we were constantly having to, to deal with the comings and goings of missionaries and those kinds of things. But Typically, you don't have a lot of those issues if you took care of it during the recruiting process. But sometimes coaches and people will say things and do things to get them on Cal. We'll make it work. We'll figure it out. When you start having those kind of conversations with your staff, we'll, we'll make it work. We, we just got to get them here. Those almost always end up not working out. And so you get in a situation where you have talked to parents right in the right way and you've been honest and upfront as, as possible as you can because – Players get better. And that's the thing that happens sometimes that coaches get caught with is that they look at their staff and, and they, they talk about the players and they look at the next three, four, five years, and they're, they get surprised sometimes. And a kid develops and gets confidence, and all of a sudden the guy who was playing is not playing because this guy makes our team better. Those are difficult things, and they do happen all the time where someone's progression is different than another's Somebody's more committed to the workout, to the to the to the weight room, or whatever it might be, and then all of a sudden, all of that anticipation of a family and a player and the recruitment of that individual, all the positive things that happen, they get to school and realize, wow, uh, I don't think I'm going to play. So you sit down with them and say, you know, I think this would be a good year to redshirt. Well, that's a little bit of a disappointment because. Grandma and aunt and uncles and high school coaches all felt like he'd come in and maybe get 15 or 20 minutes. Isn't that what you talked about? So you have to be really careful about the things that you share and say to people because they remember it. And it can come back to haunt you in a few different ways. Not only does it take place with parent problems and with player problems, but then it can creep in and there can be chemistry problems with your team when guys get a little bit clickish and they start talking and all of a sudden you realize I've lost control of the culture of my program because I didn't take care of business at the very beginning of this recruiting process and be really transparent about here's where we see you. you know, and, and sometimes we can do that and be as honest as we possibly can and it's truly how we feel, and then circumstances change. And consequently we have to address it, and then you know people are in the transfer portal. So... I just think from the beginning, a lot of these things can be avoided when we are really honest and upfront with parents and coaches and players. And when we do that, we still know that things are going to happen. And the fact is, right now, we live in a world that people want things immediately. And if it's not happening immediately for my son or my daughter, we're going to go try something else. And, and it, it appears that the NC2A. Uh, if they haven't already, <clears throat> are going to allow players to leave without consequences. And as soon as you put that into play, um, that makes that's a burden on coaches and programs. 
to know what to do. And it can be a good thing when you're <laughs> maybe you made a mistake on a kid and you realize, wow, we made a mistake here. Now you can tell the kid, hey, listen, you're not going to play and mean, you know, he, he gets a chance to immediately leave. So I think there are good things on both sides. I think it's, there's a fairness to student athletes that when someone brings somebody in and then doesn't play them and, and they, they had been told everything that this is what was going to happen and it didn't happen, why should they be punished for that? And I think that's what's happening. Uh, sometimes we hoard players and get as many as we can and don't realize that we're gonna, at some point in time we're going to have to manage them, their parents, and their, you know, their grandparents and everybody else. So I think coaches need to be better about that. And, but I think student-athletes are protected now from uh, being brought into a program where there's never maybe any intention for them to play but just to be a backup. It's hard to go recruit a guy and tell him, hey, you're going to come off the bench and be a support guy for us. So that's why we see the revolving door and we see transfers, eight, 900 of them every year uh, to protect student-athletes. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Steve, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it as always. Thanks, guys. Be safe. We'll talk to you soon. There's Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Pac-12 football with Yogi Roth, ranking the top six teams and the top six programs in the Pac-12 South. Is that the same thing? At this time of year, does it have to be? We'll talk football with Yogi Roth next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. All right, it's time now to bring in Yogi Roth, football analyst for the Pac-12 Networks. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for $99.99. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Yogi, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Uh, Well, you know, adjusting to the new normal, as is everybody else. And I wonder what that means for Yogi Roth. I assume that means you've gone back and watched cut-ups of every Pac-12 game all year. Am I right? <laughs> it, it's, it hasn't happened exactly like that. Um, you know, I've been able to uh, become a preschool teacher to our five-year-old now. So we, we kick off school about 9.30 every morning. And then uh, we go for a couple hours. And in the afternoon, I get some good tape in, which is fun because he's been watching it with me. So I haven't gotten through every game. But uh, it's definitely been fun to kind of watch some of the meaningful ones back and you look at some teams that are losing some key players, and you start to imagine what you hoped you would have seen in the spring. And then, of course, I've been talking to some coaches about you know what does "quote unquote" spring even look like now. So, um, yeah, days are days haven't been exactly uh, the same every single day, at least for the for the first week or so of this. Did I see you on social media, Yogi? Say you were practicing intermittent fasting, and about ninety minutes into your first one, you were starving to death. That's pretty fair, uh, to be quite honest. With you. My, my, yeah, my, my wife does that all the time. And uh, so I've done it. I, I've had my stints where I, like, make it a day or I make it, like, four days or I make it two weeks, and then I'll see, like, Kyle Whittingham. I'll get inspired, and I'll try to see if I can carry it out. But I'm a breakfast guy. You know, I don't need – I, I really don't even need another meal the rest of the day. Like, I need a breakfast and then, like, like a latte or something midday, and then I'm usually pretty good. 
Well, then you're already intermittent fasting if you don't eat after breakfast until breakfast the next day. You know, that's a, that's a great point. You know, I always thought it was like, you know, you, you got to do it at 6 o'clock at night to, to noon or whatever it is. But, yeah, yeah you're right. I'm going to tell my wife this after this. Like, I'm basically just doing it in reverse. I think most people do it that way just because they find it easier. You know, you've slept through overnight, so there's eight hours or so, and you get up and you sl- if you skip breakfast, that's just, you know. I think a lot of Americans are already skipping breakfast, so it's the easiest one to do. All right, so agreed, agreed. we're looking at the uh, – we were, we were, we've just been talking about this. We were looking at the, uh, the spring predictions – uh, you know, you see what recruiting classes come in and who might be able to plug in a, a transfer or a freshman or something and who's got depth and who needs a new quarterback. And, and so you rank the six teams in the Pac-12 South. And it seems like the Utes are routinely being picked second or third. I don't see how that can be on the strength of the roster. they got to replace almost the whole defense plus the quarterback, the star running back, and the left tackle on offense. So it seems to me that's more an evaluation of the strength in a program, and that's people dismissing chronic weaknesses in programs at UCLA, Arizona, and Colorado. Is that how you see it? Yeah, you know, I made the mistake last year. I thought, uh, you know, UW would win the Norris. That's what I picked um, to to kick off the season. And obviously was wrong, and it was based on historicals, right? It was – you know, the consistency of Chris Peterson, the consistency of replacing players. Like, they've done it before, right? You think about, you know, they lost Buda Baker and replaced him with Taylor Rapp. You know, and they lose Taylor Rapp and replace him with Elijah Molden. You know, like, you just you don't think it's going to change. Uh, but the reality is, is they lost, you know, I think it was 10 of 11 or something like that on the defense. or 9 of 11 last year heading into the season. Very similar to, to Utah. And uh, And you're right. You know, this conference is just brutal when you look at, the way the schedule was laid out, you know, the good thing, good thing for Utah this year, other than obviously kicking off with the BYU, Montana State, Wyoming, two games they should go get before they they play Cal. But it's kind of what happened to UW last year too. If you think about it, when they lost that crazy game that went till about two thirty in the morning or so. Um, so yeah, I'm a little, uh, I'm apprehensive to go down that road now. Of like, you know what, the program just doesn't flinch; they'll just reload and away they go. You have to like recognize like greatest defense in my, in my era of calling games on the Pac-12 networks. I think that was the best defense. You know, when you look at individual personnel, because a lot of guys are going to end up finding their way to the league, or how they played cohesively as a unit. So, I do think they've got um, you know they'll get picked high, but they got to reload and not having the spring, um, at least presumably, is is going to be difficult in, in that regard. Um, regarding the team and the 15 practices or whatever they would go get to figure out the depth chart, but let alone really understand and be able to play fast. And a lot of teams are going to be in that hole, so it might net out, but a lack of experience um, at some key spots, I think will be something for Utah that, that I'll look at. But I still think they're one of the best. They're a top four program in this conference, you know, defending South champs twice. You know, SC's loaded coming back, um, but they got to do the same thing on defense per se, at least from a scheme standpoint, even though they return their players. When you look at the loss of spring ball, Yogi, I'm wondering who you think it affects the most because you've got a number of programs having new coaches, if not head coach, then coordinators, and then also, too, you got teams trying to place replace quarterbacks, and then you got somebody like the Utes, who seems like, uh, particularly on defense, they're trying to replace everybody. So who do you think is hurting the most, or do you think it just washes out? I don't think it washes out. I mean, I look at teams like UCLA, 
you know, this is a team year three, Chip Kelly, right? I always think of like Baylor year three. I think they were like eleven and two. They finished I think last year, you know, and they went. They started at one and eleven, I believe, the first year under Matt Rule. So here's a UCLA team that was dangerous, you know, the last two years of Chip Kelly. Right? They beat SC his first year, you know, last year they you know, some really competitive games. You know, they they went through that stretch prior to heading into Utah, but they didn't go to a bowl game. So they haven't really doing anything in terms like legit football, you know, with pads out for a while. So I look at a team like that where you're trying to really, you know, maintain momentum, the drive from not achieving, you know, a bowl game or any postseason success. I, I think it hurts those teams. You know, same thing with like in Arizona, you know, and then I look at Colorado, you know, with brand new staff, you know, quarterbacks who I thought they was going to start there, Blake Stenstrom entered the, the transfer portal. You know, they got a mid-year enrollee from Texas who is a beast, but we all know what that means. You know, it's still a different world. So I, I think those teams, and then even Washington State, you know, the run and shoot, I, I played in it. It is my favorite offense, I've admitted many times, in the game. But it's based on reps, you know. And granted, in the past game, like, you can get those with your with your guys in off-season workouts, but we don't even know when those will be allowed to occur. So I, I'd go with those four teams. Um, you know, a team like Stanford, you know, where they got in, you know, a week and a half of practice. You know, Davis Mills was dealing. So for a team that didn't have a bowl game, like, mitigate it, you know, because of because of that factor, and they were able to play a little bit. But I, I look at those, you know, initial teams that I referenced where I, I think it's going to be hard for them. You know, I'm really interested. Uh, we're talking with Yogi Roth here from the Pac-12 Networks. I'm really interested in USC because it seems to me like they could be several different teams. It seems like the frontline talent is there. It seems like off what I've read about the recruiting, the depth might not be. So they might be pretty good early on. But if they have injuries, how well could they ride out that storm and – how fragile are they? You know, as long as things are going well, that's great. But how fragile are they if something starts to go wrong? Because I wondered that a year ago, and they took some hits early. They finished strong, but they couldn't quite catch the Utes. Yeah, well, it's an interesting year, right? Like last year was kind of like teams had two buys. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't really happen for everybody this year, you know, including, you know, SC in that regard. So they have one basically in the middle of the season to kind of reload and regroup. And if you bookend it, they start with Bama and end with Notre Dame. You know, not the, the easiest of roads, and, and that's what SC's about, right? I mean, they even canceled their game against UC Davis. Um, I think it was for next year because, you know, SC's one of two schools or three schools in the country to never play an FCS opponent. Um, regardless of that, their their reality is the following for me, and I've been around them the most in the offseason just from a natural proximity standpoint and being around the program and hosting a couple events for them. You know, th- this team's dialed in, man. I mean, this is this team's locked. They're loaded offensively. We know what they are. You know, the receivers that they lost, or at least in Michael Pittman Jr., obviously it's a loss, but Kyle Ford and Brew McCoy would start everywhere in the country for the most part, you know, at least be a part of the conversation, and they're going to be fighting for reps. So they're loaded on offense. they got five running backs. Their offensive line in this system is good enough. It's, it's way above average in that regard. I, I get they have to replace – Austin Jackson, who, you know, we'll see where he gets drafted, but everything seems like he's a first-round pick. Um, but they've got consistency on that side of the ball. Defensively, it's been really interesting because Clay Helton hasn't, doesn't have one coach on his staff that he had day one when he became the full-time head coach. But everybody there, 
whether it was an offensive player or a defensive player. And I was just with JT Daniels, Talanoa Funga, their quarterback and safety. And they talked about how they felt the staff and just a different type of discipline there. And I think that is going to be great for the program. Um, I think it makes guys prove that, you know, they're worthy of playing. And they've got veteran players, to your earlier point. You know, they got one of the best linebackers, I think, in the conference, Pallet EA, now Teote. Um, they've got defensive linemen that uh, you guys know better than anybody, Jay Tefele. You know, like they, they've got talent all over the roster. Um, if they can become mature talent, which they haven't been in a while, then they're going to be dangerous, you know. And that, to me, is what spring would have been great for. Because in L.A., you know, or just society in general, it's built on being an individual to a large degree. And if SC can get the talented individuals to play cohesively as a unit, like Utah did last couple of years on defense, and really how they have in a, you know for the talent winning and tenure, they're going to be super dangerous. So right now, I, I would pick them if you had to pick somebody in the South based on the losses at Utah. Uh, I was I was bummed I didn't get to watch them in spring ball, but I I, I think that they'll be as dangerous as anybody because early on when teams are struggling you know this as well as I do teams are going to struggle on defense it's going to be communication it's going to be splits it's going to be alignments just in terms of not having screen ball not having these reps you know even not having the strength and conditioning but offensively like they're going to, be able to move the ball you know they're going to be dealing quarterback whoever it ends up becoming whether it's Keaton or JT they're going to be just fine so I think early on in the year they'll be dangerous if they can you know, be much mentally mature because they're going to have to be obviously with week one tilt against Alabama. What do you think the loss uh, uh, looks like it's heading that way of spring ball is going to do to impact training camp when it starts in August? It's a great question. I've been banging around with, with Ted Robinson on our podcast, and I, I, I think that. Um, I don't want to project too hard, right? Like, I'm not in any conversation with any campus officials or conference officials, but if you play this thing out just based on the news last night, right, of you know how serious this is, first and foremost, and, you know, how groups of people larger than, you know, in some countries, it can't be more than two, right? We're talking about a sport where, you know, there's a team in every conference, on average, I would imagine, that gets some sort of you know, God forbid, staph infection or flu or something passes through a locker room. And it passes through football faster than anything. Because you got 105, 115 guys in training camp, you know, constantly connected, whether it's like legitimately physically because they're contacting each other in drills or within, you know, a three-foot proximity just in the locker room or, you know, all the things of that nature. So I think it's going to impact it. Um, and then you look at the physicality, and, and I'm thinking to myself, like, all right, how are guys working out right now? Like, we know they're really driven, right? I, I don't think football players, at least at the highest of levels and the highest of programs, they're not lazy individuals, right? Coaches are super anal and organized. So kids have their workouts. So they're doing a 1,000 push-ups or burpees or whatever it is that they're doing. They're doing their best to remain in shape. But the reality is, is I think that if you don't do anything in terms of an organized team activity, weight room, running, conditioning, you can't come back August 1st and just or in, in Pac-12 situation, July 26, 27, 28, is when most teams were projected to start training camp and just start laying the wood. And you just can't do it. You know, your body will, will break. You know, think about what teams have already done to curtail training camp to make sure that they're, they're ready to peak, you know, the, in week one of the season. 
they're going to have to curtail it even more, which which is tough. So I think, you know, if it's me, I'm saying maybe we come back and it's a three-week organized team activity, right, which is like seven-on-seven drills, mat drills, movement drills, get get your body right, and then maybe it's in a bridge training camp, and maybe we lose a game or two, and the season gets going in that regard. If this thing goes as at least projected as of last night's news, that that might be an option if if you had to lose games. Hopefully not. You know, hopefully this is under control in the next couple months, and you know, kids can get back on campus and you know continue to you know feed their bodies and you know and all the stuff that I'm sure you guys have talked about. But there, there's so many unintended elements of this from a student athlete standpoint, from a health and wellness first and foremost with COVID-19. Let alone then you look at the athlete and the performance and how are they training, how are they feeding their bodies, how are they sleeping, all the all the amazing things that each campus has that obviously now is not part of the day-to-day of a student-athlete's life. So is recruiting down to uh, phone calls when allowed and texting and uh, social media posts? Yeah, I think recruiting is going to be interesting now. Um, you know, we saw one of the top quarterbacks in the country um, commit to Oregon last week. I saw him at the Elite 11. I think it was like one of the final Elite 11s that we had before you know, suspending the, the, the camp circuit. Um I, th- I think so. I think it's going to naturally do that. I think though that it is going to be a, you know, one of the positives that come out of this. You know, coaches obviously and everyone having to be quarantined with their families. Um, you know, it's a terrible circumstance, but not being on the road in May will be okay. You know, they'll survive that. I think from an athlete standpoint of you know all the quote unquote love that they would get, um, and a lot of it is, un- is unnecessary in my opinion. You know, maybe that shifts things back a little towards normalcy in terms of, you know, a little bit of balance in college football and the profession, uh, let alone in recruiting. Uh, and, you know, or, or you're going to go the opposite and teams are just going to take big risks and just start offering guys that they only have seen on junior tape and haven't been able to walk by and size up. And uh, I hope in the, in the programs I've talked to, a lot of people are kind of slowing down to a certain degree and saying, hey, we're going to be just fine. Like, we'll, we'll get through it. Um, you know, there's been you know, 90, I'd, I'd call it 92 years, 93 years of college football. You know, you could argue even longer than that. Maybe maybe it's 142, 143 years of college football where they had recruiting that didn't have like a crazy social media and in-person element. So I think the sport will be just fine, but it, it will impact teams that were able to get on guys early, get them to campus, get a silent commit. But I don't think anything is going to like tear down programs and have to rebuild and you lose a whole recruiting class based on what's going on right now. Wondering if this situation will limit the impact of newcomers, whether they be JC guys or freshmen who get on campus in August, because the coaches they might not have time to give them the individual instruction and maybe go more with veteran guys. Do you see this forecast like that possibly happening? Hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the, the redshirt rule is a brilliant rule overall, and it's an even better rule regarding the situation that you just outlined. Because um, you know, have to ease guys in. You know, I mean, that's just the the reality of it. You know, you can't burn out their bodies. You know, I, to me, um, I've always felt this. We did this with Reggie Bush when he came to SC, and, and I still think it's the best way to bring in JC players, first year players transfer first-year players is to give them one, two, or three things to learn, right? So if it's running back, it's, you know, hey, I want you to learn outside zone, and I want you to learn an angle route and a wheel route, you know, for instance. 
that's it. You know, and that's all you give them. Receiver, we used to do it with uh, guys when they come in SC, whether it was Mike Williams, Dwayne Jarrett, Patrick Turner. You name the guys that came in. It was learn a slant, learn a post, and learn a fade. And the fade was the hardest one to teach, to be quite honest with you, because of all the you know nuances of the, of the route. And then you go from there, okay. And then by week three, week four, you get a bye, and they get to take a breath and you know, relax and teach them a little bit more. But but I do think that if you're counting on, you know, a freshman quarterback, for instance, it's hard right now because all these guys came in mid year, right? And they're doing everything they can. They're in their books. They're skyping or facetiming with their coach, you know, or zooming. Like they're, they're doing, but you can't replace the reps. You know, it's just it's just a reality to the sport. So I, I do think there's an element there, um, and you'll probably see teams, you know, be more conservative. You know, especially if teams are loaded on the defensive side, right? You know, like I look at Washington as an example, right? They bring in a new offensive coordinator. They're going to play a guy who's never played meaningful snaps in a game. You know, I, I, I take that back. I think. Uh, one of the quarterbacks had one meaningful snap because the helmet of Jacob Eason came off last year in a game that I was calling, you know, in Sermon. So o- overall, they're going to play with great defense, you know, run the football. And that's kind of how Jimmy Lake's outlined his approach anyway. But you, you can't – I don't say you can't, but you, you, you're not very confident in terms of throwing out a guy who's, you know, call it – has had 28 practices. You know, it's still it's, – it's not zero, but it's still not – a lot of it's a trust factor, you know, that I think the coaches are, are all going to have to deal with. But everybody's going to deal with it, to be quite honest with you. So it's a simplification of the playbook. It's a simplification of the decision making of you know the respective player, and then it's I think probably playing really conservative. And I would bet that most of training camp, at least the first ten days of it this year, with more individual periods than we've ever seen in the history of training camp to, to that point, just to kind of drill home. You know, some of those elements that win and lose you ball games, which are explosive plays, which usually busts, and turnovers, which, which speak for themselves. Yogi, as always, we appreciate a few minutes with you. Thanks for checking in, and uh, good luck in your new career as a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> hey, we got a big science experiment. If you have any, hit me up, because I'm literally Googling every night, like, kid science experiment, and that's our 11 a.m. break before uh, we get a little rest time. So, uh Kick him over, please. I need, I need all the help I can get. There's Yogi Roth, Pac-12's networks. Love it that he comes on the air and talks football with us all the time. And now he's a kindergarten teacher, too. Doing it all. All right, when we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are coming up next on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.